Welcome to Tramlines, a podcast from Agri. I'm your host, Tony Smith, putting your questions to the experts. In this episode, I'm talking to Marek Nawakowski, wildlife expert and consultant to Agri. Today, we're going to focus in on supporting insects and pollinators on our farms, and specifically why the hungry gap is such a threat in the early spring, and very importantly, why we should give this more attention. And here we are on location near Bicester up in Oxfordshire. So good afternoon, Marek. Hi, Tony. Hi there. And, uh, it, you know, it's great to be with you again on uh, Tramlines podcast. So um, please remind us, actually, what is the hungry gap? The hungry gap, uh, it's, it's an often overlooked event. Something around middle of March, early March to late April, early May, when the insects that have come out of hibernation in that time rely almost exclusively on what I call the flowers for free. Um, things like cow parsley, red dead nettle, ground ivy, um, etc. The trees and shrubs, again, that often get overlooked. And, and all this comes for free. The hungry gap is a period of time where the flowers the farmer has sown in various schemes, or because he wants to, don't yet come into being. They're going to come uh, in May and then through the rest of the season. So this hungry gap, um, it's as simple as if you come out of hibernation uh, and there is no food, <laughs> at the end of the day, you're going to die. And all the flowers in the world that then come into flower after you've gone, really, <laughs> they're not necessary. The, the, the event has been and gone. Sure. So um, as we were walking along through the fields just now, you were very kindly educating me as to how much food is actually here or not here. So here we are. We've got uh, a lovely hedgerow. Uh, we've then got a, a farm track and then the crop uh, of, of wheat just there about uh, five metres out from the hedgerow. So Marek, tell us what food is actually here? Because if you look at it, you think, well, not much. Spring has started. But Actually, what, what food is here for those insects? If we uh, try and make it easier to the listener, if we, if we think of this a bit as a dartboard, uh, we've got the outside ring of the dartboard is the hedge, and then we come down to, if you like, the double numbers, which is the base of the hedge. And then this farm has a very clear advantage in the sense that it has a track. And then, as you say, the crop starts five metres away. Now, that has taken all the pressure off the hedge and the base of the hedge, which is what makes this farm so rich in wildlife because it's given nature that space. Oh, hold on, Ma Marek has just stopped talking because he has seen the flight of a bumblebee. A bumblebee, that will be a queen. Now she will have come out of hibernation about a month ago or, or as early as a month ago. In the absence of food, she's gonna die. No surprise there, but the bit we need to be very mindful of, if she dies, all the eggs and all the young that she was going to be responsible for ain't ever going to happen. Unlike the honeybee that has a rolling life cycle, the bumbles and the solitaries, um, they come into the new year and only if they survive can they take that, that, um, that group of insects forward. So it's, it's very different to the honeybees, which everybody, when see people say bees, they often mean honeybees. The big pollinators and the bit that, that suffers during the hungry gap are the bumblebees and the solitary bees, because if they die, there's no backup system. Everything that they were going to do dies with them. 
Sure. So let, let's just walk along this hedgerow here and uh, ju just pick out some of the, the food sources that you, that we see and that you can point out for us. Yeah, the, the way the farmer manages the hedges, which is a, a system called incremental cutting, he cuts um, on every second year back to a point where he still gets blossom every year. So we're just passing now wild crab apple. Um, we're now middle to late afternoon. So some of the smaller solitary bees will have will have gone to bed. They get up early. <laughs> they get up early and go to bed early. The bumbles will still be around, and and the honeys will still be around. But we've now had a month of the goat or grey willow. Um, the crab apple is just coming in. Um, chestnut hasn't yet come in. So what we're looking at now is the beginning of the wildflowers. The flowers, in the majority of cases, that you can't buy. We've got. Uh, garlic mustard there we've got some cow parsley we've just passed some some ground ivy um, here is some white dead nettle and that's the first of if you like the nettle family now that is a very different shaped flower so again what we're looking at is the the importance of differentness um, that's a typical if you like nettle shaped flower so the bigger bees can push the hood out of the way and get into the reward, the pollen and the nectar, where some of the smaller bees can't. So for example, cow parsley, the umbellifers, is gonna be great for many of the insects that fight crop pests, many of the hoverflies, many of the smaller tongued bees. These very short tongues, so they go onto flowers that are more of a pad. The smaller bees, the smaller tongue bees, wouldn't be able to do very much with uh, the white dead nettle because the flower's the wrong shape. So as well as having flowers, it's as important to have the differentness of flowers. So the whole thing sort of stitches together and everybody gets something to eat at the, if you like, at nature's table. Sure. I mean, you've talked a lot about bees uh, in terms of, you know, the priority here. But actually, as we walk along, I mean, I, well, that, there's a butterfly. Uh, is that a rear admiral there? Yes. Uh, yes, it is. I was right. Uh, yeah, some other, um, some peacock, other yeah, butterflies, peacock. some whites, and we can also see nearer the crop uh, some holes in the ground here. Yeah. So th th those are for these are the solitary mining bees. These little sort of volcanoes, um, some of which have got a hole in the middle because the occupant, which is likely to be a female, is out and about foraging. The ones that are closed, like that one down there, the chances are that the the, the female is actually down there. She drills a hole in the right soil structure down to a depth of about four to six inches in which she excavates little chambers fills them full of pollen lays an egg and then caps the whole thing off when it's full sadly at the end of six weeks like all female bees she dies and the next generation then has to sort of do everything itself the food is the pollen that's dry pollen as opposed to bumblebees and honeybees that have wet pollen so there's a very big difference there in the type of pollen based on the life cycle and obviously wet pollen is not as useful in pollination as dry pollen so we have to make some very clear distinctions um, and the bit that fascinates me and the bit that farmers engage with when you begin and begin to take them through the whole system and as simply as you can you explain the complexity of the jigsaw nine out of ten farmers engage almost immediately because you've opened their eyes to something that that um, nobody's born knowing it. You've got to get the farmer enthused, interested, and above all else, you've got to get him scoring some goals. And if you point out 
um, as you can on many farms, you can point out the lack of food during the hungry gap. Farmer says, God, I never even thought of that. Then you show him bits of the plants that fill the gap. Um, the important thing with the hungry gap is to know it exists, to understand the plants that, that we perhaps used to call weeds. Uh, what's a weed? What's a, a wildflower? Who knows? Um, but at the base of the hedge, we can see where we're standing five or six different flowering plants, most of which you can't buy. Now, if those disappear and you're reliant on the ones you've planted in a scheme, you're going to have to wait three months from when you came out of hibernation to the food Mr. Farmer has provided. What the hell are you going to do for three months? Um, apparently, death is often fatal. You ain't going to make it unless there's the food very much at the beginning of when you come out at the beginning of the year. Sure. So let's walk down to, we can see the orchard rape just at the end of this track here. But what you've been clearly talking about is, yes, that gap, that that hungry gap. Yeah. But also that we're not just talking about bees. We've got some solitary bees here. We're just walking past. Uh, but also it, it's the whole, it's the whole food web, isn't it? It's, it's all of that insect life as a whole. But with that winter wheat crop just to our left here, we've got orchard rape ahead. And all the dandelions sitting on the edge. And all the dandelions, yeah, it, which oh, you would all the, otherwise call oh, look, weeds. Look, 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 cowslip. Cowslip. So we've got, we've got, we've got loads There's here. There's the ground ivy. It's a bit of a treat, actually, isn't it? I mean, it's a beautiful bit of countryside. But here's the thing, Marek. It, it's the so what. So what's the, what's the benefit of doing something about helping the insects by filling this hungry gap? What's the benefit for, for that crop of wheat through the season? It's always tempting at this point to get sort of very evangelical and say, oh, we've got to save the planet, etc., etc." But the reality is that we are part of the countryside we live in. If that, f if that countryside becomes environmentally impoverished and we don't know which of the key species, then we should strive wherever possible to maintain the maximum number of species. It, 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 uh, I often say to farmers, you're sitting in an aeroplane going on holiday and you're bored to death and you're pulling the rivets out. Do you know which is the rivet you shouldn't pull out? Because if you don't, don't start pulling them out. And it's very much the same with this. If, and, and having been an agronomist, I do understand the pressures farmer, farmers are under. And I think this is where perhaps the government haven't gone deeply enough into the whole concept. If this bit of wildlife we're looking at, we can't afford to give it that space, then the system is at fault. We depend on a healthy crop that can only be part of a healthy environment. And, and it's no secret now that the environment is under increasing pressure. Um, green agriculture with all sorts of fancy new names um, is winding back to where things were taken for granted. Um, we can pull out hedges, we can fill in ditches, we've all, all heard of that, because wildlife were, were, were sort of ever-present and inexhaustible, uh, and we've paid a high price. It's certainly retrievable, um, but we need to create the right environment, there needs to be the right level of education. And the whole thing is built on, if a farmer farms the countryside, both the bits he doesn't farm, which I still call a crop, and the food production bit for us. I suppose in its simplest form, we're standing on a track now, to my left is food for us, to my right is food for wildlife. Unless we get that whole balance right, the bit we depend on, the food for us, will suffer 
because it's the pollinators and the general depth of environment that props up many of the farming systems. Sure, and that makes perfect, perfect sense, Marit. But, but specifically, there are beneficial insects apart from our key pollinators, which are a real benefit. I mean, particularly for obviously your fruit crops with the pollinators are key. Yeah. But if we're talking about these crops, we're also talking about the beneficials in terms of, uh, correct me if I'm wrong as well, uh, ladybird larvae, yeah. uh, hemiptera, etc., which are and have a real benefit in terms of that crop health and helping as predators of aphid larvae, etc. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I've been an agronomist for many, many years, but I would like to think because of my love for countryside and the wildlife within it, um, like many other agronomists, I have to find a balance between food production, but not at the expense of wildlife, and keeping the farm in business. Um, the research that I've done tells me fairly confidently if I could have 5% of every farmer's land and we put the right habitats in, uh, we wouldn't now be in the decline we're in. But wildlife is a crop. I, I can't think of explaining it in any other way. And we need to impart the skills to farmers to look after that new crop. Yes, it's now uh, the vogue, as I said, green agriculture left, right and centre. The danger is it's a bit like a pendulum. After the war, the pendulum said, um, we're not overly interested in wildlife, we must feed people. Now we've swung the pendulum almost to the other extreme, somewhere in the middle. Um, the whole concept of rewilding, I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole other debate. But going back to the bit that, that you, you've specifically wanted to talk about today, the hungry gap. If the hungry gap is a time where most insects die because nature hasn't got the food to feed them, the rest of it, the non-event, you can sow all the flowers you want to sow. But if they start in May and you've come out in March, that's a hell of a long time to go hungry. So the first thing I think a farmer has to understand is there is a hungry gap. What makes it hungry? The lack of pollen and nectar. Where does the pollen and the nectar that we're seeing today come from? It comes from the hedge. Right, well, we've stopped now at two queen, what they call Bombus terrestris. I don't, sadly, I, I don't know what their English name is, but these are queens now smelling out small mammal holes. If we part the grass, which we can do in a minute, we'll see all the vole runs. This is this picture we were talking about five minutes ago. So we've got the tussocky grass in which the voles live in which the overwintering spiders, web-building insects, uh, web-building spiders, etc. So these bees have come out of hibernation now, been around for at least a month. That one is what they call nest searching, flying low to the ground, and you'll see it. It's looking for the signs of small mammals, so it will go underground, use the old small mammal nest, lay its eggs, sit on like an old hen, hatch them, and then her life begins, she then becomes an egg-laying machine. But unless we have this tapestry of habitats, if she comes out and can't find the right place to nest, that's the end of her. If she comes out and has got all the right places to nest, but not the energy to take in the pollen and the nectar to raise the fertility of her eggs and have the energy to fly, the, you begin to see this sort of jigsaw, and the more bits of the jigsaw you can piece together, the clearer the picture becomes. And what we've done, sadly, in agriculture, we, some years ago it was skylarks, now it's pollinators, 
the way to make this work is to actually understand and embrace the whole picture. You can't just choose a, a, an individual species. Um, you can't treat them as, as, as unrelated boxes. It's a bit like living on an island. Um, if you haven't got the stuff that supports you on the island, you're dead. So what you want to do is join all the islands up together or get onto a much bigger piece of land. Because quite clearly, looking at this, these bees today, um, we've got a multitude of habitats. They don't just need food, they need somewhere to nest, etc, etc. And it's the same with the cropping situation. Um, some crops rely on uh, beneficial insects to attack the crop pests because they don't need pollination. Other crops do need pollination. And, and if nature is impoverished by what we do, the gamble we take just becomes harder and harder to piece all those bits together. So, Marit, we just walked to the, uh, the the corner of the field. We've got a, the farmer's drilled around the corner and then obviously the, the spray has gone up uh, in a straight line. So we've got some bare soil. Uh, what's going on here, Marek? What we've got is, is, is compacted bare soil and you can see, and I've done the count here, on this corner over 70 different uh, per square metre, 70 um, separate, if you like, boreholes, these mini volcanoes. Um, this belongs to a bee called... Um, laser glossum malicurum. Um, what's the big deal about that? This bee is so successful on this farm because it has a place to nest and the food it needs. And without that combination of the two, the thing, you know, you've broken the chain. Um, it's a solitary bee, therefore it moves dry pollen. And dry pollen is far more effective in pollination than the, than the moistened or wet pollen. So what we've created is the right habitat for the right bee and we filled the hungry gap so it's, it's, it's we've now pieced all the jigsaw pieces together so thinking specifically about the hungry gap then Marek so what would be your call to action for growers and farmers wherever they are in terms of what can what difference can they make crikey <laughs> um, I suppose first and foremost know it exists because if you don't know it exists, you, you can't do anything about it. Having understood or having been told what the hungry gap is, then walk around your farm during the hungry gap and see what you've got in flower. And then if you like, fill in those gaps. So my hedges are all blackthorn, uh, sorry, my hedges are all hawthorn. Well, that's fine in May, but if I've come out in March, I need a little bit of willow because that's sort of April, etc. What we're looking for for farmers is to understand the diversity that wildlife needs. Um, understand that if you've got a bit of red or white dead nettle, you've got a bit of cow parsley, um, and this doesn't happen much now. We used to spray into the base of the hedge. Leave that little bit. Anything you can see on your farm between March and May that is in flower is absolutely critical to June, July, August, September, because providing the food during that hungry gap wildlife has a chance to move through the rest of the year. Well, thank you, Marek, for sharing your expertise and knowledge today about the hungry gap and why we should consider how we can help the insect and pollinator populations on our farms. That's it for this podcast, but do tune in again as we meet the experts throughout the season, exploring the many immediate and longer-term questions for growers and farmers in the UK. If you have any questions that you'd like us to ask the experts, email info at agri.co.uk. See you next time.